0: Hello there, folks. Welcome to the CFL This Week. I am your host, Bubba O'Neill, and thank you for joining us for the top talk in CFL. And as always, we try to bring to you the top talent and, of course, the best host to entertain you and inform you with our topics of the week and every once in a while we run into some technical issues you know how today's modern day zoom goes and one of our outstanding guests bob marjanovich the voice of the bc lions there was some technical voices uh technical issues and Uh, that we are dealing with so if you're watching on the video you may see him might sound a little distorted and if you're listening to the podcast unfortunately we've taken him out for this week and we're really really hoping and looking forward to having him join us in a future future broadcast but with that said this is another outstanding show you don't want to miss it yeah let me send you straight to it this week's edition of the cfl this week on the tight cats audio network
1: From the Cats Audio Network,
0: this is the CFL This Week with Bubba O'Neill. Welcome to the CFL This Week, your place for constant, non-stop, controversial, fun, opinionated, CFL Talk. I'm your host Bubba O'Neill on the Cats Audio Network. Again, three wonderful guests to talk about the game that we love. That is the Canadian Football League. And let us start with the main man in the booth. He is a former Tiger Cat, a former Calgary Stampeder. Of course, we do know him as the analyst not only just for CFL on TSN, but he may be the most wise guy we know when it comes to uh, what's going on in the Canadian college game as well, too, and what's coming up and to feed the CFL. Dwayne Ford, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. And Christina Constable, Deputy Editor of the CFL.ca, she knows all the insides of what's going Mm -hmm. on. So we love having you here for our chat. So let's get right into it, guys. I'm going to start off uh, with the. I think a, I think an interesting conversation in the fact that I think we can all assume at this point of the league the, of the season, Winnipeg would be if you did your power rankings, rank number one. My question to all three of you, and we'll start with you, Christina. Who is the second best team in the league?
2: I think it's the BC Lions. Um, I love their offense. We obviously can see what Michael Riley does every single week after his elbow was feeling a little bit better, even when he had that broken wing. I still feel feel like in week one, we still saw some great stuff from Michael. They have the league's leading uh, receiver in in Lucky Whitehead. But I also really like their defense. Um, Yes, they're giving up a lot of yards, but they're also the second – team that's giving up the least amount of touchdowns uh, just behind Winnipeg, actually. So that's the part where that, that it matters the most. And they're leading the league um, in interceptions, which I think those two stats are probably a little bit more important than yards given up. So I love this BC Lions team. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you're here, Maj, but I really do. I really do like this BC Lions team. And I think that they're maybe going to be a contender in the West to kind of give that little bit of a, a push to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers.
1: Dwayne, if I'm if I were to say right now, I'm going to say Saskatchewan, but I'm going to say that with an asterisk because I think that things in the Canadian Football League are evolving. And what I mean is in terms of people coming back from injuries, rosters are going to change a little bit, some teams more than others as we go down the stretch. And so for me, where it matters most who the next best team is, is going to be come December, come the end of November when we get into playoffs and Grey Cup. And the team that might be the best team, second best team, maybe even the best team at that point, in my opinion, is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. When you look at Hamilton's roster and what they're doing right now and the people with whom they are doing it, you're going to see a drastically different Hamilton team, assuming that, that people get healthy. And, you know, we've talked about this a little bit on air, but Hamilton's defense is playing lights out. Special teams is very good. Frankie Williams is obviously a, a game breaker for them in the return game. Offensively right now, they have won back-to-back games playing with a third-string quarterback, playing with basically a group of rookie receivers. You've got two second-year guys and three first-year CFLers in the receiving core, and you've got four guys playing in new positions on the offensive line. And they're finding ways to get it done so you consider that that offensive line gains experience as the year goes on you get one or both of dane evans and jeremiah massoli back as the year comes on and you hopefully get brandon banks braylon addison and davir Posey back in your receiving core plus the experience gained by the guys that have been filling in for them um hamilton's the team to watch down the stretch as but as-
0: but dwayne let me throw you that there i mean first of all you got to make a decision on the quarterback right i mean and i think you know they're, they're, they're i think Masoli could be ready as early as this week Mm -hmm. and we just don't know how long the rope will be for him when Dane is probably healthy in a couple of weeks. Um, You're talking about bringing back the likes of a Brandon Banks who you know was off to a shaky start let's be honest here Uh, and then a Devere Posey that's never played with any of these quarterbacks Mm -hmm. and and even Braylon Addison who hasn't played in two years do you think you can just gel that quickly?
1: Yeah I I honestly think you can I think you've got enough time obviously if if you're talking about these guys coming back in in game 14 that's a a different question that's a different issue obviously but i mean you talk about making decisions between the quarterbacks um i think all nine cfl head coaches would gladly be forced in the difficult position of having to make that decision right between a guy who is an mop finalist and a guy who led his team to to the gray cup game and a a franchise record and wins. so that's that's an easy one yes brandon banks is off to is off to a slow start Brandon Banks was playing in a different receiving core than the, than the one he left. He hadn't been at 100%. Some time off actually does Brandon Banks some good. And again, when you plug some other veteran guys in or the same group of young guys with whom he was playing, but now with a number of games of experience, as opposed to in the first few games of their CFL career, the dynamics of that, that entire receiving core change. And I think change in a way that's beneficial to, to Brandon Banks.
0: Your pick of the of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, does last Friday's or last weekend's game against the BC Lions, that Riders game, does, did that influence your decision?
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of that, but I almost wonder if maybe they'll get the running game established before then. We're only in week nine right now, right? We're halfway through, and if it's obviously an area of concern for the coaching staff, perhaps – I'm not saying that they'll go out and get somebody like a Powell or a standback, but maybe they'll start trying to implement those guys more in the backfield moving forward so that when it does get cold and when you do need that running game um, heading into the the later stretch, especially because the end of the season this year is into November with the the pushback season. Um, So perhaps that they'll be able to implement them more into the run game as we're going on, especially if it has already been um, kind of asterisked as a area of concern.
0: I, I think you know what when we think about the last 20 years the last two decades there seems to be one consistent thing going on in the CFL which has been either a nine or team league it, it seems to me that the West is always dominating the east especially in the regular season Dwayne why does this happen year after year after year yeah. not necessarily not necessarily in the great <laughs> Cup but at least in the regular season
1: yeah and the- you know, I mean, this is, this is something I've looked at in the past and have, uh, have developed my, my own little theory on this. And a lot of it simply has to do with the, the environment we're in, right? Like it, I have compared it to the old joke about, you know, a group of guys in the woods getting, getting chased by a bear. And you say, you know, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun one of the other guys, basically. And that's kind of been the situation in the CFL's East Division is you're, you're talking about a four-team division where three teams make the playoffs. And so you only have to be better than one team. And there has always been at least one team that for whatever reason has really, has really struggled, right? It hasn't been overly challenging to not be the worst team in the East and have a chance at, at making the playoffs. Whereas you look over in the West and you look at sort of what your record has to be like, yes, you can make the playoffs as a crossover team finishing in fourth place. But when you look year after year at, you know, in recent memory at how many wins you have to have to guarantee yourself one of the top three spots, you've got to be pretty good. And so automatically when you are, if you're the general manager, the head coach of a West team in the off season planning for the coming season versus the general manager of an East team, call it a subconscious thing. I mean, presumably everybody wants to put together the best team possible, but in terms of what you need to do to give yourself a chance to win your division. And as you said, you get to the gray cup, it's, it's a one game thing, right? So, but when you look at what you have to do to win your division and who you have to be better than, the fact is it has become that you have to be you have to put together a better team in the West, and that's that's the reality of it. It, it, it because it has been more competitive, it remains more competitive, and I, I do think that the other piece of it is is kind of from a media point of view. When you look at some of the some of the centers in the West, their teams are under way more scrutiny, way more media scrutiny, way more fan scrutiny in the West. Than they are in the east as canadian football league teams that you know if you want to avoid basically getting getting ripped in the media or sort of getting publicly ripped what have you um you've got to step up in the west more than you do in the east
0: christina do you agree with that
2: i do for to, to a certain extent the first part for sure um that's actually what i was going to say uh, as well Dwayne. is i feel like i've been asked this question a million times why is it so much better in the west and? Sometimes it is kind of difficult to pinpoint uh, exactly why, but I do agree with the fact that because there's more teams over there, and there's also a few teams that have been competitive and building that winning culture for so long. You look at, obviously, the Calgary Stampeders, who have been very good for very long. Even Edmonton had that run of Grey Cups um, as well, and I think that because those teams have been so good, it kind of breeds the competition for the rest of the teams to have to meet that standard. And in the East, there hasn't necessarily been that much consistency in terms of winning culture in any of those squads. Um, especially when they had, you know, Ottawa's only been around for a certain amount of years, and there's been some different general managers and coaching staff. Um, so I think that because there's more competitive nature in the West, it just breeds for the other teams to want to be able to reach up to that level.
0: You know, and and I let's let's roll right off that. I mean, I, I think the it's fair to say over the years that the East is inconsistent. When I think inconsistent right now in the CFL, the number one team to me seems to be the Montreal Alouettes. They go into Toronto, they lose a tight game, didn't really show up for the first half, got strong in the second half. They're now two and four. Is it time to wonder if this team, Christina, are contenders
2: or pretenders? I, I love this question because I think that they're so on the cusp, but I'm going that they're still comp- contenders. Um, we're looking in this East Division that we were just talking about, how things are close, um, so you're never really down and out. And I think they're so close in the sense that they just they just need to limit a few mistakes. I'm looking back at that Toronto game where Vernon Adams threw that errant pass that got picked off, which led to a Boris day um, field goal. And then of course we know how that one ended with Toronto, obviously coming back and getting that last, or sorry, uh, Montreal coming back, not being able to get the comeback. Um, so I think limiting mistakes at the quarterback position is a big one. And I know we've all talked about Vernon Adams a million times where he can either be the best we've ever seen, or just we're confused why he's making certain decisions. Um, so I think especially at the QB position, if they can just limit those mistakes I think they're in it. They haven't really been blown out by, you know, their losses. They haven't. Um, So if they just limit those little mistakes, I think that they're still in the race with Hamilton and Toronto.
0: Dwayne, you've seen this team probably the most out of us at a close range. What are you seeing? Because I agree with Christina. The highs are incredibly high, but the lows. I mean, that game in Calgary a couple of weeks ago, they looked horrible.
1: Yeah, I think Christina hit the nail on the head that the success of the Montreal Alouettes hinges on their quarterback, Vernon Adams. And, you know, you can say that about so many teams in the Canadian Football League. Obviously, it's it's a quarterback driven league, but it's really standing out this year. And when we last saw Vernon Adams in 2019, this guy was and I think still is one of the, the rising superstars in the Canadian Football League. And those highs are so high. But I think they've come to almost rely on those highs a little bit too much. And what I mean is when you you look at this team offensively in particular, um, they're a team that has, they have a phenomenal run game. William stand back in the offensive line when they get going on the ground. Absolutely fantastic. And this sets up a lot of opportunities for them in the past. But the thing I find about their passing game, at least right now, is that they're so inconsistent in terms of relying a lot on the big play and not necessarily when they, when they don't get that big play, it's sort of like they haven't really figured out plan B yet, exactly what they're, what they're going to do with plan B. And so if they can get the passing game anywhere near the consistency of their running game, they, they become a frightening offense. But so much of that hinges on, on Vern and Adams kind of picking up, I would say, where he left off in 2019 as opposed to maybe trying to find his way, which obviously is a challenge for a lot of guys after a year and a half off.
0: You know, Christine, I would, you know, we talked about the stability of franchises and not so much like financially, but again, and in, in, in able to put together good quality teams year after year. It wasn't all that long ago where Montreal were, I think, the best team in the East at doing that.
2: Yeah, and I think they're well on their way to doing that. We've talked about three guys, I think, that are are excellent in Vernon, when he's excellent. Uh, and Eugene Lewis, I feel like he's one of the better receivers in the league this year that I don't think is getting um, enough attention as the Lucky Whiteheads and the Brian Burnhams um, of the world. I just feel like they have. The pieces, again, we've talked about Will, uh, William Stanback as well, one of the better running backs. Um, so they have those pieces, and it's just a matter, like we've, we've said a few times here is it's the consistency um, that they just need to figure out, and I think they'll be well on their way.
0: All right, guys, let's end on this one, and I always like to end on a fun one. I think we could look at some of the good guys in this league. You know, some either coaches or good teams, good individuals that we just love to cheer for. I think I want. I, well, I want to know who is the heel. Like, if you're thinking about wrestling, you're thinking about the the boo. Like, who do you, like who is the most disliked guy in the Canadian Football League? Dwayne. Well,
1: I'm I'm going to throw out three nominees, if I may. And it, it's guys who always seem to be in, in the middle of the action when there's a scrum that, I mean, I, I don't know what's being said down there on the field. Sometimes I don't necessarily know what happens in, in every pileup, but there, there are a few guys that everybody always seems to be mad at for whatever reason. I would say uh, one of them, a newcomer to the league is, is Garrett Marino in Saskatchewan, defensive lineman. Um, you know, always seems to be at the the center of the action down there in in the trenches and, and mixing it up a little bit. Uh, you know, another guy and I I love him. He's one of my favorite players to to watch in the league because of the the role he plays and the way he plays the game. But but again, one of those guys that seems to be on the uh, the public enemy number whatever list is is uh, Nikola Kalinic, fullback in Hamilton. Oh. And um, you know, number three I would say is is one that probably seems a little more obvious because he he plays angry and uh you know and doesn't really seem to hide it and i would say that that's um toronto argonauts nickel linebacker chris edwards those are my three nominees i'm i'm not going to pick one but but they're your nominees for the the villain of the year award
2: christina i'm going a little off the board here and i'm actually not choosing a player i'm choosing a thing and it's the uprights I feel like the uprights have been the Achilles heel. First of all, you go all the way back to 2019 in the Western Final. You can ask Cody Fajardo that question, oh. that he's mad at the uprights. It happened to him again this year on the Labor Day game. And then in the Labor Day rematch, there was the Ticats kicker who missed the extra point by hitting it off the upright. And as a fan, I hate that. So that's my Achilles heel this this year is the uprights. It's the uprights.
0: Do, do, do you want them to move back like the NFL? Do you think that makes a difference?
2: I don't know if it's going to make a difference or not. I kind of like that they're in the front to make us a little bit different. Um, But they just need to like maybe move over a little bit. If they see it coming, move them a little.
0: The fact,
1: flexible uprights. Oh, they should be made of string, hanging string.
2: Exactly, like those inflatable men.
0: christina the fact that you're giving love to kickers i mean there's kickers all over the place right now that are really happy with you you know yeah. let's go back let's go through simoni christina stay with you for this one there it, it, Simone is the kind of guy that he, he if he finishes a play makes a tackle you know he's had a couple of pick sixes he's gonna let you know is there
2: anything wrong with that i don't think so at all i i don't think at all i think it's It's great for the game because it makes things interesting Um, and it's fun, especially when it's staying in between the lines and it's on the field. It's happening during the game. I think off the field, Simone is a very likable, likable guy and he's very nice. And he's always really willing to work with the media. Um, But on the field, the chirping, I love it. Bring more of it. Let's mic him up next week.
1: (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now, we we can't mic Simone up without a seven second delay. We've tried that. (laughs) (laughs) Imagine. <laughs> yeah and i i'm i'm a big simone fan too and i think probably the thing that that maybe prevents me from from calling him a, a villain or a heel more than some of the other guys is is the fact of having dealt with him in the media over a number of years and as you said Christina he's uh you know in the the grand scheme of things maybe not to opponents but uh, in the grand scheme of things simone is definitely definitely one of the good guys and i would say a guy who despite the suspensions you know or suspension um, He's not a guy who's who's a dirty player. He's a guy who plays the game at full speed and you know plays it with a lot of emotion that sometimes I think contributes to the uh the perception of him and maybe some of the the dislike on the, the part of opponents and maybe some some visiting radio broadcasters moj. But uh <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm I'm not sold on that one.
0: D- Dwayne, I mean, you were on the field. I mean, let me just throw the last question to you. And and I always think of a guy like Alfred Payton. Like, that guy just talked a lot of BS. Uh, I was at a Tiger Cats game as a young boy. He gave the finger to the crowd. Like, he was, he just, <laughs> this guy was unbelievable. But he was really good. He was like a heck of a, yeah. heck of a ball player. When you were on the field, mm-hmm. who was just your irritant?
1: Uh, you know, I would say the, the number one sort of villain of my, my playing days probably was, was Jeff Braswell um linebacker who played with a number of teams that spent some time in bc edmonton ottawa he did a stint in in toronto and you know i mean the, the great irony to me about about jeff braswell in that role i think most guys would tell you at that time probably the the dirtiest player in the league i mean the, oh. the fact is i actually got into the lineup for my first cfl game i had i was inactive for the first couple of games of my rookie season and the team went to play in ottawa Andy McVeigh was our starting fullback, and after making a block, he was down on the field behind the play. And as the play continued on, Jeff Braswell came up behind him and and stomped on his ankle, basically, and and wrenched his ankle, which led to Andy going on the injured list and and me getting into my first game. And so, you know, I, in some ways, I should maybe be more grateful to Jeff Braswell. But uh, <laughs> but the fact is, no, he was he was the number one dirtiest guy. I mean. You know, there were other guys that talked a lot. Uh, Tyrone Jones talked a lot, James West. But I didn't necessarily find the, uh, the physical antics from those guys, whereas uh, Braswell was something else. But I, I heard he was like a, an elementary school teacher or something like that in his, <laughs> his non-football life. So, I mean, that, that goes to show you another guy who most people would tell you was, was a dirty, dirty guy to play against who is one of my favorite guys in the league both off the field and in his current role is Mike O'Shea, you know, like I, I think, oh. I, I think honestly, Mike O'Shea, if, if she were wearing the wrong color Jersey, I, I think O'Shea might've, you know, given his own mother, the, the fish hook in the bottom of a pileup, but you know, but as you guys all know, like O'Shea's the greatest, most polite, classiest guy you will meet when, when it's not in, in an on-field competition.
0: Like I said, it's it's a crazy what happens when these guys. I mean, I can think of, like, Ja'Garrett Davis to me is a guy that is the nicest guy to talk to. But, I mean, when he's on the field and rushing the passer, it's unbelievable what he turns into. and, uh, uh, And I see that a lot on defensive lines nowadays with these guys. But, you know what, folks, Christina, Dwayne. Moj, it's been amazing talking to you guys. I hope, uh, you know, that you got a little jokes out of this, and it's always fun getting everyone together to talk about the CFL, and we're going to do it again as always. So we thank you for joining us. Folks, we always want to say thank you to the audience for joining us. It's amazing uh, that you keep joining us in more numbers and more numbers, I think because we all want to find a place to talk about the CFL. Remember to hit that like and subscribe uh, button on uh, if you're watching on YouTube, and again, you know where to find us if you're listening on podcast form uh grab to your favorite place to grab the podcast anyway thank you anyone everyone for joining us it's been a great time we'll see you next week this is the cfl this week on the tiger cats audio network